our stories are our heritage and if our stories survive we will not die even when our bodies are no longer here on this earth you're listening to the podcast stories of the vietnamese boat people Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome back. Hi, I'm Sally Nguyen, associate producer for Vietnamese Boat People. I'm filling in for Tracy as your host for this episode. Before we start, I'd like to remind you all that our third annual Me Viet Story Slam is happening on May 4th, which is only one week away. Tickets are now available at vietnameseboatpeople.org forward slash events. This year, we've invited a selection committee to choose the five storytellers who will showcase their work during the live event. The committee is comprised of some of the most creative and inspiring figures of our Viet community, including our guest for this episode. Nguyen Phan Gue Mai is a celebrated writer of both poetry and prose, who's written a number of award-winning books in Vietnamese. In 2020, she published her debut English novel. The Mountain Sing tells an enveloping, multi-generational tale of the Jen family, set against the backdrop of the Vietnam War. Jen Zutlan, born in 1920, was forced to flee her family farm with her six children during the land reform. Years later, in Hanoi, her young granddaughter, Hương, comes of age as her parents and uncles fight in a war that tears not just her country, but her family apart. Here is the conversation between Gue Mai and Tracy. I was born in a small village in the north of Vietnam. The village is called Khương Dụ in Ninh Bình province. So my parents uh, were both farmers and teachers. So they were teaching and also doing farming at the same time. I have two brothers. They are uh, both older than me. My mother is from the middle region of Vietnam, is from Nghệ An, where I set uh, partly the mountains sing. And my father is uh, from Ninh Bình. I spent the first six years of my life in this village and I loved it so much. So a lot of description in my book, The Mountain Sing, The Village Life comes from my experiences there and I visited quite often. After 1975, the Vietnamese government sent many teachers in the north to the south. When Gue Mai was six years old, her family moved to Bac Liu, located in the very southern tip of the country. Before traveling to the south to get to our new home, I had never been out of my village. There's a big community spirit where I was born. Everybody knew everybody else. I think the country life really enriched me and I couldn't have written this book without my experiences in both North and South of Vietnam. What do you remember most about the first few years after 1975? I remember growing up seeing a lot of devastation around me and seeing a lot of disabled people, people waiting for the return of their loved ones. When I was in the north, I saw a lot of women who were waiting for their husbands 
or brothers to return from the war. And when I went to the South, I noticed a lot of women were waiting for the return of the men who were put into re-education camps or who haven't been back from the war. That's one of the inspiration for me to write The Mountain Sings, actually to document women's stories. I knew that we were divided into North and South because of the Vietnam War, but I had no idea about its impact. The first day that we arrived in the South, we were eating dinner when there were a loud explosion above our head. Somebody was throwing big rocks onto our tin roof because we were from the North. So people in this Southern place of Bạc Liêu didn't want to accept us. They saw us as invaders. I was really scared and when I went out to the street, I was called many type of names. I was bullied. But later on, I asked questions and I found out about the things that Southerners were experiencing. So I understood much more. That's why I wanted to write The Mountain Sing to put the Vietnamese stories on the center stage and how the war divided us and how as a community, we need to do more to to come together. I remember vividly growing up knowing families who were ripped apart because of the war because they had family members who fought on both sides of the war. For my family, for example, I have an uncle who fought for the Northern Vietnamese Army, but I have an uncle-in-law who fought for the Southern Vietnamese Army. I think it took a lot of time and efforts to kind of resolve our feelings and to come together. And I think there is still a lot of division within our community. And it's, it's heartbreaking and it's really difficult. I remember growing up in South Vietnam, in Bạc Liêu at that time, some friends would just disappear from my class. They did not tell anyone that they were leaving and there would be whispers that they had escaped by boat. And I lived in Bạc Liêu, which is the hotspot for people leaving. People from Saigon, for example, would go to Bạc Liêu and Cà Mau and try to live there by boat. Until today, I haven't heard news from some of my friends who left uh, at that time. It was a very turbulent and scary time. At that time, we were not allowed to listen to um, BBC Vietnamese or Voice of America in Vietnamese, you know. Um, so we had a portable radio and, and because we were really worried for our friends and acquaintances who had left on the boat. So we were just trying to stay in touch with the news. So my brothers and I would hide our radio, you know, um, to listen in secret to, to the news about boat people because we had no information at that time. There was no internet. For your family, did you guys ever think about leaving Vietnam? I don't think so because my parents experienced firsthand how hard it was to move. I think for us, we were like refugees because Vietnam had been divided by North and South. And being in the South at the time, we were rejected at first. And it felt really hard and it took us a long time to settle. And we heard stories about people dying or, or horrible stories about both people. So we were really scared. So I don't think 
my parents thought about living. They had moved so much in their life. So, and I think they wanted to work with the land. I mean, my parents were teachers, but they also, you know, like they loved working with the rice fields. And at that time, life was really harsh, but working with the land, with trees and, and plants, you feel like there's so much hope. I loved reading because when I first went to the South, I hardly had any friends. So I found friends in books. And my father taught literature in his secondary school. So he brought home books and I, I could read everything. And my parents loved reading as well. So with little money they had, they bought books. And we had no access to the library at that time. But whatever book, Uh, we had in a family, I read until the covers fell off. And I remember my father had to make the covers for the book out of a thick carton so that it could hold together and he sewed it with thread. So I still have some of these old copies of, of these books that I loved. When I was little and because so many incredible things were going around me, so I told myself I wanted to be a writer. So I had this wish I told my parents and they said, no, why do you want to be a writer? Look at the history of writers in Vietnam. What happened to them? You know, so don't be a writer. And then my, my two brothers told me, oh, we are poor. We hardly have enough food to eat. Do something useful with your life. <laughs> get a, a study business or something and get a good job so you can help parents. And I studied business. I worked in business for a while. But the dream of being a writer was still there because I loved listening to people's stories. There were just so many incredible stories. And I used to keep a diary of different things I were listening to, of different things I were witnessing. And I think uh, in a way, I, I did the research for the mountain sing at that time. There has been so much pain and trauma within our community. And, and I mean, throughout my life, I just want to do more to bring us together, regardless of where we come from, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, or Vietnamese in the diaspora. We have still so many things for our community to come together. Our stories are our heritage. And if our stories survive, we will not die, even when our bodies are no longer here on this earth. I wrote the mountain sing in seven years and I, I did okay, the wait. research seven years <laughs> seven years seven years of writing but a lifetime of research I was keeping diary when I was little right and later on whenever I met people I just asked questions I just observed I used to work for the United Nations in Vietnam. So I traveled to all regions of Vietnam and I got to talk to elderly people everywhere. And with my travel to Australia, to the US, I talked to a lot of poor people. So I wanted to also understand their point of view. I read a lot of literature in English and Vietnamese by writers of all sides. So I wanted to be objective and also to have a uh, deeper understanding of Vietnamese history. In the mountain thing, I wanted to write about the root of the war. For example, because of the land reform, many Vietnamese from the north 
went to the south and ended up fighting against their brothers and sisters during the war. So there's still a lot of conflict which have not been resolved within our community. So I felt the need to document it. Gwei Mai has published nearly a dozen books of poetry and short stories in Vietnamese. The Mountain Sing is not only her debut novel, it's her first book written in English. I felt I was crazy for attempting to write in English, which is not my, my first language. So I had to use the dictionary and I, I studied a master and a PhD to be able to write this book. But I felt like there, there's a need to add a voice from inside Vietnam into the canon of literature in English about Vietnam because I wanted to highlight Vietnam more than a war. I wanted to highlight the beauty and complexity of our language. So I have proverbs inside the book. I have Vietnamese language in full uh, diacritical marks. And I insisted with my publisher that we have to keep those marks. Otherwise, you know, we misspell the Vietnamese language. Seven years working on a book, sometimes I felt I was crazy, but I, I felt really compelled. And my husband said, this book is going to kill you because I was up at 2 or 3 a.m. writing it. But as I was sleeping, I heard the voices of my characters telling me, don't sleep. Our stories cannot sleep unless you tell them. I had the idea of writing this book, especially with a grandmother in it, because when I was born, both of my grandmothers had died. So I wanted to have a grandma. <laughs> so I told, as a child, I told myself one day, I'm going to write a book with a grandmother in it so that I would have a grandma. <laughs> so I had that idea and I collected information for so many years, but I did not know how to start this story until one day I was going to kickbox chop self-defense with a friend. I wrote about kickbox chop in the mountain sink and that's my real life experience. So I was going to the class with a Vietnamese friend. So I asked him what happened to him during the war. So he told me in 1972, Hanoi was bombed. His parents had gone to Russia for work. He was in Hanoi alone with his grandma and his grandma protected him from the bombs. And his story was so moving to me that that night I went home. It was already nine o'clock. By the time I had fed my children dinner and put them to bed, I sat down at my writing desk and Googled bombings of Hanoi in 1972. And I could see images. I could hear the sirens and the broadcast. And I was so, so moved that I wrote 2,000 words that night that would become the first chapter of the mountain sing. So I created Grandma Ziolan, who was there with her granddaughter Hương. Grandma Ziolan's character is the person whom I wanted to have as a grandma. And her spirit resembles that of my mother. So my mom lost her parents when she was really young, but she has always being really hopeful and forgiving. She's the most forgiving person I know. She forget about things easily and move on. And she always look at the positive sides of other people. 
she's my inspiration. She's my hero. So I wanted to document some of her characteristics into the book. But I think what happened to Grandma Diệu Lan and Hương are based on the, the real life stories that I heard and I witnessed. Hương, for example, her love for book and some of the things she went through as similar to those I experienced. But I also interviewed a lot of people for Hương's character. When I wrote this book, my children were smaller, you know, so I observed their characters as well and their behavior as teenagers. So that helped a lot <laughs> in, in writing Hương's characters. So I could say that their characters are compilations of the real life stories I listened to. And also they came to life via my imagination. The book is told in the voices of Grandma Ziolan and her, her granddaughter Hương or Guava. But there are so many other characters, other characters like Hương's mom, Hương's uncles. And writing uh, them were more challenging than writing Hương because they're very traumatized people. And I think little research has been done about trauma on Vietnamese women on Vietnamese citizens, on Vietnamese people. So that's why I wanted to, to highlight the impact of trauma on people's behaviors and their relationships within you know, their family and, and within the community. There's a legend of Cha Lạc Long Quân and Mẹ Âu Cơ. So all Vietnamese people born into one single family. According to that legend, we are all children of the Dragon King and the Ochre Fairy. I wanted to use a family to represent Vietnam and how we have been divided because of many historical events, not just the Vietnam War, but also uh, the Great Hunger, how much we suffered, the land reform, the French colonization of our country, the Japanese invasion, and after the war, what happened to us. So I'm curious, so when you were reading, were they mostly Vietnamese books or did you read a lot of different foreign languages too? I've been reading English literature for years and there have been tens of thousands of books published uh, about Vietnam, but most of them are still written by the West who highlight Vietnam as a war and Vietnamese women appear in those books as, as those absent of agency. And, you know, I just wanted to write beyond such presentation and also to reclaim the Vietnamese narrative and to insert, you know, voices from Vietnam into literature in English, uh, you know, about Vietnam. I also wanted to reach out to the Vietnamese community globally to share with you experiences that I had in Vietnam or the people whom I know experience through, through this novel. The first book I published was actually a book of poetry. I have always loved poetry. So I grew up surrounded by poetry, poetry that my mother sung to me in the form of lullabies. In Vietnam, at the end of each class, we have a notebook that we pass around for our friends to pen some words as memories for us. And normally people copy their favorite poem into that notebook. 
I published quite some poetry and then publishers suggested that I write prose for them. For years, I worked as a, as a translator. I translated a lot of Vietnamese poetry and I translated works by diasporic Vietnamese and American writers, especially work of American veterans. I translated and published in Vietnam and I wanted to translate a Vietnamese novel, an epic novel, But I was searching for such a book for years. And then one day I, I told myself, why don't I write that book myself? In terms of writing, I always want to challenge myself with my project. And this book was a great challenge because, you know, I wrote in English and it was the first novel that I have ever written. Uh, I think I had a lot of fun with it as well. It, I learned a lot. Normally, when I write, it's natural when I think in Vietnamese and write it in, in Vietnamese, it's much faster and I can express myself more eloquently. With the mountain sing, I had to place myself in the position that I had to write it directly in English. Uh, but there were many moments where I was not sure how to express certain terms because I wanted to protect the Vietnamese-ness of this work. There were certain expressions that I had to think about it in Vietnamese first and translate them into English. I wrote everything in English except for a part where the diaries of Hương's mother, who's a traumatized doctor who returned from the war and she couldn't share her trauma with anyone. So she started to write diary and her diary entries are really painful. And I started with Anh ơi. You know, and Anh ơi is such a sacred phrase. You know, you can't translate it. Beloved is not... Or honey, but it's not the same. No, it's yeah. not the same. So I started writing it in Vietnamese. And I don't know, I started weeping. I, I was The emotions were so strong that I wrote it so quickly and I knew it was right. So then I wrote it again in English. And that was the only part. I think it was too emotional for me and Vietnamese had to provide a key for me to enter that part. It must be so hard because I do find the language, the Vietnamese language, very poetic and romantic and intimate. A simple phrase like an ơi or just like when you say mẹ, there's something about the word mẹ is so like yeah. deep yes. and close. Yeah. If you call mẹ ơi, You call me, oh, you know, there's no translation possible for that. It took me seven years to write this book because of a lot of time I spent on the translations. First, to give you an example, you know, I wanted to bring forward the poetry within our language by including Vietnamese proverbs into the book. For example, the proverb, trong cái rủi có cái mai. So I translated it as good luck hides inside bad luck. Đi một ngày đàn, học một sàn khôn. I translated as a day of traveling earns a basket full of wisdom. The word basket is important, right? Because it's, it's about the Vietnamese bamboo basket. Mưa dầm thấm lâu. Soft and persistent rain penetrates the earth better than a storm. I think this is a proverb that Vietnamese farmers who work with the land came up with. I wanted to maintain the image, the lyrics of the Vietnamese language in the English translations. I had to ask for help 
from my friends and I acknowledge them in the book. For example, Thanh Ha Lai, the author of Inside Out and Back Again and whom you had on the podcast. She's a great friend of mine and I asked her for help with the translations of these proverbs. So we have had a lot of fun working Uh, on our books together because if she has questions about Vietnamese language she write me and if I needed help with translations I would write her so I also have a friend in Vietnam his name is Paul Christensen Paul is an American who went to Vietnam as a Fulbright scholar but he spends a lot of time translating Vietnamese literature and he lives in Vietnam so I have a lot of fun translating Vietnamese proverbs with him It takes me months to translate one single proverb because I come back and forth with my friends so many times, but it's really worth it. I have always been interested in reading stories about Vietnamese people in the diaspora because I wanted to, to listen to stories from people who escaped by boats, for example, because I was curious what happened to my friends. But it was really hard to, to get these stories. Later on, when I learned English, I was able to read stories by Phuc Chan, for example, Saigon recently, which I love, Viet Thanh Nguyen, Ocean Vuong, T-Boy. I'm really blessed that uh, now I'm good friends with them because I really admire their work so much. And, and I think as a Vietnamese community, we should be reading each other more. Vietnamese from inside Vietnam should read stories from Vietnamese in the diaspora, and vice versa. Viet Thanh Nguyen said, as a Vietnamese, once you have opened a door, you should keep opening the door to other Vietnamese. So as a community, we are more successful. We elevate each other. I see the need for that. And, you know, that's why I've been promoting books that are coming out this year. For example, I wrote a blurb for Eric Nguyen's Things We Lost to the Water. I, I love uh, Lee Chan's House of Sticks. I really admire writers who have opened the door for me. And, you know, I think it's, it's my duty now to do it for all the writers. As a Vietnamese community, we should uplift each other's voices so we can be heard. So what's your next project? I have been working on my next novel based in the south of Vietnam. This novel deals with the experiences of mixed children or Americans, children of American soldiers and Vietnamese women who were born and abandoned during the Vietnam War. A lot of them have not been able to find their, their parents. So, you know, I, I just want to fictionalize some of their experiences and they have heartbreaking stories, stories that should be known more widely. You know, when I meet younger people who grew up in Vietnam, they don't see North or South because they weren't even born until like the mid 80s or early 90s. So for them, the Vietnam as it is today, is a Vietnam that they know. Because things are developing really fast in Vietnam, you know, so the younger generation don't reflect so much about the war anymore. They move on and they think about the future. But I think there are still a lot of things still hidden and buried. And because things are hidden and buried, the trauma is there and the healing is more difficult. 
my parents and my two brothers are all in Vietnam. So I'm, you know, traveling the world because of my husband's job who works in diplomatic services. My kids are both at university. They're in the UK now. And do either one of them want to be writers? My daughter is an amazing writer. I also wrote a book with my uh, daughter about the life of a dog. She wrote it with me when she was 12 years old. They know how hard I have to work, so they say, no, it's not for me. <laughs> But you love what you do. I think that's the most important part. I love what I do. I mean, it took me so many years to come back to my writing dream, and I'm so glad I'm, I'm here. For many in the Vietnamese diaspora, one of the casualties of war and migration has been our language. But now, through the works of writers such as Nguyen Phan Gui Mai, we're witnessing a new era of Vietnamese storytelling that has been decades in the making. To learn more about this episode, follow us on Instagram at Vietnamese Boat People and look for details under episode 39. And you can learn more about Gui Mai and her work at NguyenPhanGuiMai.com. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for helping us preserve history. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. And please, take a moment to rate us and provide us feedback. And if you have a story to share, contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.